This week, I was an invited guest on the Scrimba YouTube channel. We basically just live streamed a Q&A for an hour. There are a few hundred viewers, so I thought it went relatively well. I thought Leanne, the interviewer, actually researched me very extensively. You should have seen the question list that she sent me ahead of the interview. So I always appreciate a good Q&A, and we got into some really good stuff about learning in public, donating to free code camp, remote work, and career strategy, which I don't get enough of a chance to talk about. So this is the interview. Enjoy. So Swix, uh, can you tell us a little bit about your background? Because you haven't always been in tech, have you? You had a different career before that. Uh, no, I haven't always been in tech. Um, so yeah, thanks for giving me the opportunity, I guess, to um, restate this. <laughs> I originally started out in finance. So I am born and raised in Singapore, where I am right now, went to the US for college, um, and basically thought that I was going to grow up to be a hedge fund manager or some, of some sort, um, because I thought that was really cool. Like you can buy and sell currencies and commodities and equities and bonds and, and, and all that. It seemed very fancy to, to me. Um, and then I actually got there. I got into a hedge fund. And it was very different from what I thought it was it was going to be like. It was very high stress. Um, and I just didn't really feel like I was contributing <laughs> anything of value to the world. I know it's like it seems very obvious from the outside, but when you're in it, it seems like a very uh, prestigious position to be in. Um, anyway, so I, I always enjoyed, um, I think every junior finance person, when you join, uh, basically you're, you get thrown all the uh, technology tasks. So they basically just go, hey, you're, you're young, you can figure this out. Uh, and then you have to go and figure it out. So um, I, I did code on the side uh, and basically decided that I would try to do that full time rather than the finance bit. So I basically quit my job in um, at age 30 and decided to pivot to tech. Uh, there, was a, there was a slightly scary thing, but it was less scary because of free online learning resources. Uh, Scrimba mm -hmm. was not around at the time, but I, I used things like Code Academy, Free Code Camp, Udemy, um, and basically did it on nights and weekends and figured out that, yeah, this is something that I think I can do full-time. Um, so I really sort of committed to it and um, you know, eventually uh, found, found my first, first job after a boot camp. Um, mm. I think more recently, I think uh, the the, <laughs> the public profile building came because I was really bored <laughs> in in, uh, in in my in my first job. So I started speaking at meetups in New York City and started blogging uh, about React stuff primarily. But then I broadened into general JavaScript and uh, software engineering career stuff, um, and uh, that got me noticed by Netlify. I did that for a couple of years, and uh, then I got then I joined um, AWS. Cool. Yeah. So you mentioned that you were sort of on the tech side in your financial career. How much code did that actually involve? And were you able to carry any of it over into your new career? Or did you sort of have to start from the ground up again? Started from com complete scratch. Um, so first of all, any any work. So finance in finance, they are very strict. Uh, there's no such thing as open source. Everything is property of the firm. Um, and it was in a different different language. So I started in Excel, then went to VBA. VBA started having scaling issues, so then we moved to Python. Um, and then I moved into uh, currency derivatives. And to do that, you have to learn a functional language. And therefore, I was forced to learn Haskell, which people are very impressed by. Mm -hmm. But 
I didn't have a choice. I, I, anyway, it, it took it took me a while <laughs> yeah. to to pick up Haskell. Um, but you know, I, so so moving to JavaScript was a was a big learning curve, especially because it doesn't have some of the safeguards and it can be a little bit cryptic sometimes, especially with like old JavaScript, like pre ESX JavaScript. Um, I don't want to go back there, <laughs> but um, yeah, I mean, I, for me, I, I realized that I think software comes about when you have really good user experiences that that people they can make apps that people can play with. Previously, I was basically a quant, I was a quantitative trader, so I made scripts and crunched data, but I was always the bottleneck. Um, so it it would be better if I could create an app where people could. Do their own analysis, and that's where that's where my interest in sort of uh, front end um, type experiences and, and sort of rich client web apps came about. Um, yeah, so there's I guess the transferable skill is that like I wasn't scared of computers. You know, I, I had some idea that um, I enjoyed the programming bit. Um, I would just wasn't sure that you know someone who was in their 30s could change change the careers um, without a CS degree and all that um, and still have a decent job of, of that compared to like what I was giving up. Like I had uh, about six years of experience in finance at the time. Um, so you are walking away and starting from complete scratch. Mm, yeah, that's actually an interesting point because quite a few of our uh, students at Scrimba ask the question of, do I need a CS degree? So I guess your story kind of proves not. Um, do you have any other um, sort of thoughts on that? Is there a benefit to not having one versus having one? What's your experience been on that front? Oh, I mean, there is, there's there's some benefit. Um, I would, you know, if I could do uni all over again, I would do a CS degree. Um, uh, but it's not necessary to get to get a lot of jobs in the industry. In fact, I think I was reflecting on this among the sort of high paying white collar jobs out there. You know, you think about lawyer um, or you think about doctor or you think and you think about software engineer <laughs> and out of all these, like, it seems like you, it's it's weird because software engineering is the only one that doesn't require you to, to go to, at least in the US, like uh, advanced, uh, get an advanced degree. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, so it seems like a career hack that you can just, uh, and, and in fact, probably, uh, the this industry is majority not credentialed, right? Like uh, a lot of people just self-taught or like made their way in somehow. Because like I, I know for you know the the the, the numbers of uh, people graduating CS degrees in the U.S. Um, is public and 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 it's fifty thousand a year, um, and the job vacancies are like in the hundreds of thousands. So mathematically, we have to be a majority non-credentialed industry um so yeah it, it's it's a norm we should get over that <laughs> but at the same time i think that uh, what you do get in a cs degree is just time to work on fundamentals that um nobody's going to really sit, pay you to like sit down and just you know do databases for uh, for three months <laughs> uh, make an operating system from scratch make a language from scratch like no one does that very few people do that in a real job um, and as that's as it should be, but um, you know, then you miss out on on the, that kind of foundational knowledge. Mm. Yeah, you're talking a, a little bit about the U.S. job market, and I know that you've got experience uh, on the U.S. side and the U.K. side. I'm just wondering how different were those experiences, and did you need different skills depending on the region? 
Yeah. Um, so to be clear, I, I only I worked in London when I was in finance. Um, so not quite Canary Wharf, but um, in that world where I was I was talking with brokers and my counterparts in banks and all that. Um, so I, I never did tech in 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 the UK. My sense of it is really that um, Europe is just more chill, <laughs> to use the American word, uh, it, it, which. Uh, which you know, I guess I guess you can interpret it as basically more family friendly, uh, better respecting of um, work life balance, um, but then also perhaps maybe less innovative. Right, I, I don't see as as vibrant of a startup scene um, in mm-hmm. in London. And, and again, this is like I was in the UK in like 2014, so things may have changed quite a bit. Um, uh, but yeah, I mean that's superficially what i see um also the <laughs> the employment situation is weird you know uh if you're a high paid uh sort of uh worker in 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 the uk apparently you you do sort of one year contracts and that's that's how you get around some kind of labor regulations or something i don't know it was true in finance and, and i and i hear that it's true in tech that's just completely mm-hmm. alien to the, <laughs> to the u.s market um so yeah, so yeah a, a hack for future coders. <laughs> um, so yeah, yeah. I mean, you, you're, you're typically, it's like a day rate where you, ha- um, if you want to be a full-time employee, uh, you're, you're capped somehow. And if you want to go above that, then you have to switch to be a contractor and, and do one-year contracts. And that's how you charge like two to three times higher than what you get as, as a regular. Um, yeah, it is. It's, it's a norm. <laughs> yeah, worth bearing in mind, future coders. Um, I've read, I think it was on your blog, at that coding in your opinion will always be the easiest part of a coding career what skills do people need other than coding to succeed in tech in your yeah. opinion i appreciate that uh so this actually comes out of research a lot of people a lot of companies actually publish their career ladders which is the the rubric mm. that they use to promote engineers right um in your annual reviews um you know, what do they line you up against to to determine if you can go to the next level or just just figure out if you're doing well or not. Um, so I highly recommend people who haven't done this exercise to just go look it up. Um, there are about 30 companies that I've listed, including a lot of people in the UK. Uh, so FT, um, uh, Monzo Bank, um, there, there's some British companies, but I mean, you're, you're I, I guess, you know, I don't know who's watching, but like this is worldwide, right? So like there, there are other, you know, American and, and uh, South mm-hmm. American examples. Uh, and if you survey these companies, you actually find out that technical skills out of like the, the, the rubrics that people come up with, technical skills are about a quarter of the evaluation criteria and three quarters of the, the rest. Um, I mean, you know, the remaining three quarters are not technical, um, and that's surprising because you spend all your time in college or boot camp or whatever learning the technical side, and then yeah. you you get, drop into the workplace and you're blindsided by like, oh, but we're going to evaluate you on the majority on this these other things that we, you're just expected to have or develop on your own. Um, so it seems like a weird thing, but it makes sense because ultimately, um, you're we I, I view us as you know not machines that produce code, but we are humans that. Um, use code to achieve some sort of business goals. Um, so we have to understand uh, communication within the company, um, our business impact, um, uh, our ability to mentor others. These are all sort of non-technical elements of a, a career doing code. 
uh, <laughs> that that are mm-hmm. some, you know they, they're code adjacent. They're they, they're like you, you do have to have mastery of the fundamentals, but then it's what you do as a human around that um, with with those skills. And so I was pretty I was pretty inspired by that, partially because well it's it's both inspiring and intimidating because like it's hard enough to code and now you tell me that that's not good enough like <laughs> that's a, i have to put in a yeah. lot more work into that and um that's that's a bit tiring but then also i just think it's the truth so um the the, the more people can confront reality sooner um the more prepared they will be um and uh yeah i mean I, that's that's the way the world is run <laughs> mm, yeah uh, good advice I've got a question here from Marie. She's asking um, how to learn a language most efficiently. Do you have any tips on that? Um, yeah, uh, there, there depends on the language. So there are scripting languages, there's compiled languages, um, and there are a couple other categories which aren't coming to mind right now, but they're gonna differ based on the use case, right? So for example, in JavaScript, you know, you could just drop into the browser and, and uh, start experimenting with things, but in a compiled language like a, um, you know, like a Rust or something, or Go, uh, that, then that would be not not be so easy. Then you do need to set up an environment. Um, so I guess the, uh, yeah, that's sort of project will differ. But basically, uh, I really like going through the official tutorial. Uh, <laughs> a lot of people don't do that. They they'll like go onto YouTube and look for like the the free four, five hour course. Uh, done by some guy and, and it's like it's okay but it's not as good as the, the tutorial that like a lot of smart people have slaved over um so yeah it, i i used to be that person like when i learned javascript i didn't i didn't like look for i mean well there's no official guide to javascript but i didn't look for any resource like that i went on udemy and bought like the ridiculous nine dollar sale uh thing and i <laughs> did that and it was like it was okay it was it was just like not very not up to date like as far as I, as far as possible, I would encourage people to to go read the official docs. Like I'm learning GoLang right now, so I just go to GoLang.org and and read the docs from beginning to end. Uh, that's a really underrated way of of uh, of doing doing those things. Um, and then it's I think it's building a project where you really start to get into the meat of uh, the language and f- figure out the edge cases that they don't tell you about during the during the tutorials um, or you might think that it's not important and then you find out that it really, really is important. So, so, so yeah, I mean, there, there's a, there's a lot in that question. So I, I don't know how to answer that apart from like building a lot with it. Um, I'll, I'll, I'll give you one more thing, which I, I hear from software engineering radio, which is a really good podcast. Um, if you're doing, if you're doing one of these like system languages or like uh, languages that basically run on the server, um, a really good exercise is to actually write a static site generator. So I think this guy was, learning rust and he was like okay what's a good project to learn rust with um and he decided on static side generator and it forces you to do file system access it forces you to adapt uh templates to data uh it forces you to like you know uh deal with the web stack and like uh create a server and all that that those are all like the very basic things that you want to do with a with the language and that that's a really good exercise. Uh, obviously, if you're talking about something like Swift or you know Objective C for for phones, um, then that would be less interesting, and you have to find a different project. But there there are sort of core keystone projects that you can do to to make sure that you've covered all your bases on, in a language. Mm, to get building as soon as possible and find out all those edge cases, I think are great takeaways there. <laughs> 
Um, there's a question in the in the chat um, about yeah. did he, did I say these documents are called career rubrics? So th this is uh, regarding our, our career ladders discussion. Mm -hmm. So I call I call them career ladders. Um, that's I think that's what they're commonly known as in the U.S. So I think if you just Google my name and uh, look for career ladders, you'll you'll find it. <laughs> yeah. So um, um, my colleague Michael has colleague and husband has put the uh, link oh, to switch.io/careerladders okay. there. Oh. So if we can. Thanks, Michael. <laughs> yeah, I, I collected them. I actually wanted to do like a super ladder of like, let's combine all the ladders together and just like, what does the world think uh, the required skills of an engineer are? Uh, turns out it's uh, it's very different. There, there are different schools of thought. Um, there's, there's some um, that break out, break them out into like very, very fine grained skills. So, uh, so circle CI mm -hmm. is, is one which like, there's like, I don't know, 40, 50 requirements that you have to meet all of them to, to go to the next level, uh, which is very demanding. But then also, I think being specific on what they want uh, helps because sometimes, I mean, the mm -hmm. alternative is that people are vague and then they just promote based on the favoritism or whatever. Uh, and that's not great mm -hmm. either. So um, th then there's other schools of thought. I think um, maybe the FT, it's very simple. Like here are four things that we're kind of looking for. Um, and, you know, we'll... we'll it's a discussion rather than like a mathematical like check 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 you're you're promoted you know like it's it's more of a discussion of like have you know apart from all these things that we've written down what are the informal things that um you've really been contributing that we cannot capture ahead of time um so i think that's some that's realistic as well it's a it's a difficult mm -hmm. thing how do you judge a human <laughs> yeah absolutely but that's a really good tip looking at these career ladders because then people are going to know the skills they need to get to the next level. So thank you for that. You've um, very kindly donated your fee for appearing today to FreeCodeCamp. Um, just wondering, obviously you use FreeCodeCamp to learn to code amongst other things. What was your biggest struggle in learning to code? Oh, okay, interesting. Uh, well, so first of all, thank you for um, you know, offering fees to speakers. Some some people don't do that, and um, yeah, I, I try to help out Free Code Camp whenever I can. Uh, the difficult part really was getting past like the the beginning, the the hello world stuff. Um, every mm. every tutorial, every language, every framework has a very smooth beginner's path. Like start here, go through like these nine steps, and then you're done. And then there's the question of what's next. Um, and, and so th then, then it's, then it really branches out into, you could do anything. And that's like very scary mm -hmm. for someone who's, you know, not really super confident yet. Um, so yeah, deciding on the projects, you know, kind of what we talked about before, um, is, is, is key. And I don't know that I have the right answer. Um, you know, I think it's just a matter of like figuring out and, and finding and failing and figuring it out again. Um, and, uh, and yeah, so, uh, specifically for JavaScript, I really struggled with all the frameworks, right? Like I, I dabbled with Vue, I dabbled with React. React had a few different APIs at the time. Uh, I dabbled with D3. D3 was going through like a big V3 to V4 transition. I dabbled with Meteor.js. These are all like different ways to approach building a full stack web app in, in, in JavaScript. And it was really confusing, like deciding what, what which was which and deciding which to, to bet on. And for me, where it really clicked together was was basically just giving up on being like trying to pick the objective best and just going on Hacker News and seeing who's hiring for who, like where, where are the most jobs. Mm. Um, and there's a there's a site actually, I think it's called 
hntrends.com. Um, let me check that, hntrends.com, um, which actually aggregates all the job postings. Yeah, it, it is hntrends.com. Aggregates all the job postings on Hacker News every month because there's a monthly like who's hiring thread and sorts, filters out the technology and just counts them. Uh, so React has been on top for the past like 20 something months. It's a pretty good bet if you if you just need a job. Um, yeah, I think, yeah, another year on top for React. That's that's the one right there. Um, so, I mean, that, that's, a, that's a pretty, like that, you're not gonna go wrong doing that. Just picking the most obvious technology that people, everyone is hiring for. Uh, it's gonna differ by geography, right? So uh, I think React yeah. is very US focused. Um, there, uh, and sometimes very, coastal city focus. So if you're in the middle of the country uh, or if you're in a different uh, different country altogether, then uh, those trends are going to differ for your local market uh, if you if you care mm-hmm. about that sort of thing. But, you know, pick what people are hiring for. That's a good way to bet, bet on things. Um, but I think once you start having some form of job security and like established career-ness, then you start picking the tools that just make you happy. The, the tools that you enjoy working with because the, the, the philosophy mm-hmm. here is that you could be working with anything. So you might as well work on the things that give you joy. And some, for some people that means going, going down the really hardcore, like closure and like Haskell and Elm and like, you know, functional languages that, that will never be popular, but they, it just makes that specific group of developers very happy. They can talk about, you know, very abstract Lambda calculus stuff all day long and, um, they, uh, you know, according to them, their apps will never fail. You know, that that's one that's one way to approach these things. Um, others, they they might be interested in uh, things like Python, which uh, Python developers are very famous for saying that you know Python is the second best language for everything, right? Like it's the one tool that you can apply to machine learning, to building web apps, and and it's never going to be the best, but it's good enough. So it's the it's a it's sort of like a multi-purpose tool, and people are very proud of that. Um, so. I, I like I like that approach. I like um, having a base of security of like, if I need a job, I have this this very marketable skill because people hire for it, and and then I'm gonna learn whatever makes me happy, whatever it is. <laughs> Brilliant tip. And um, one other way people can find out um, what the market is asking for in their area is LinkedIn. I found that mm-hmm. that's kind of regional as well. I understand not everyone uses LinkedIn, um, but you can get a feel for what employers are looking for in your area. And then as Swick said, go for the most popular one. So brilliant <laughs> tip. I mean, I've got a question in. It, yeah. it, can be a good, it can be a good strategy to go for the most niche one as well, because then you mm-hmm. won't have that much competition, right? Um, and, and so okay. if, you're, if you're working with, with Elm, uh, there are like two companies that, that hire for that, but then also a lot less developers. So you're, you're competing in a much smaller pool. Um, I don't know. Like basically like tech is so huge, so huge that whatever it is, as long as you're passionate and good about it, um, you'll mm. get, you get hired. Like it's, <laughs> you know, the, the demand for software engineers is, is uh, ridiculous. So uh, I don't think it's a concern. Yeah. Af- you know, it, it is a concern for the initial, you know, zero to one, like zero experience to, to first year experience. That's a concern. But beyond that, you're fine. That actually ties into a question we've got in the chat, actually. Um, Most React developer jobs, I suppose really tech jobs in general, want experience. Um, What's your views on that? I suppose that's the purpose of a junior role, isn't it? Um, How have you found that? Do you have any tips for getting around that? Yeah, um, you know, it's it's the perennial thing. It's not, it's not, 
unique to tech as well. It's the chicken and egg. Like I need experience to get experience, yeah. you know, um, which is kind of sad. Yeah. Um, and there are some companies, uh, and I, I think, you know, in, in some of the resources that I collect on my on my blog and book, um, I, I go into that where uh, you can get. Let's say you're you're coming out of college, you can you should definitely try for one of those internships. Um, I think more tech companies should offer apprenticeships as well, uh, especially mm-hmm. for people coming out of boot camps. Um, Microsoft has one. I think IBM has is, has one as well. My, Mozilla also has one. Um, Outreachy.com is is the is the URL for that one. Um, but again, those those will not be opportunities available to everyone. Uh, so for for those, I, I I definitely think networking is is a good way of doing things. Like having okay, so first of all, uh, work on a project using the technology to to show your to demonstrate your skills and your interests, uh, and then network with with people to. Um, to, I guess, to get your, your way, <laughs> to get your foot in the door. Because a lot of the times when people talk about, like, I need minimum three years or five years experience, that's just a little, that's a, a filter that's kind of arbitrary. Um, <laughs> and if yeah. you just convince them that, like, you can learn whatever you need on, on the job, um, they, they'll give you a shot. Um, and it, it can often be, this can often be uh, easier at a small company rather than a big one. So if you're going for the fang, uh, fangs of the world, um, they might be stricter about their criteria. Um, but a startup uh, like the like the ones that I've worked at might typically just be hiring as many people, as many good people that they like uh, as they can get their hands on. Um, and they'll just trust that you can figure it out. Um, so I like that. Um, there's, a, there's a thread a while ago about how to look for jobs at startups, which is basically... <laughs> Uh, like cold email uh, startups that have just raised money because they will, they will be in very heavily hiring mode. And as long as you, you understand their fundamental mission and go like, I'm a capable engineer because look at all these projects that I've done, uh, they'll, they'll, they'll take a shot on you. And, and it's, you know, it doesn't take too long to go from that to uh, someone with legitimate experience that nobody questions anymore. Um, yeah, so, so I, I, do, I do think that some amount of portfolio uh, ex- experience is important, but I don't uh, think that everybody should have a portfolio because portfolios the bias towards visual things, which are kind of nonsensical mm-hmm. if you're, uh, you know, a sort of backend JavaScript person. Um, yeah. You know, you're not a designer. Why do developers have portfolios? Like that's that's just like I can buy a fancy design or slap a fancy image and it looks better. Mm-hmm. Does that mean I'm a better developer? No. Uh, so I, <laughs> so there are ways to to, to tweak around that. Um, I recommend uh, there's some resources that, I, that I've collected in, in in the book that that we can talk about later. But um, where where you can we, we can audit your portfolio and and, and bring it up to to snuff. But if you're a backend developer, um, I highly recommend. Um, actually, you know I can I can just share the 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 section because uh, better like everyone can see yeah. that. But I can just share the the book. Um, on on screen and then and then we can talk about that um yeah. let me share my screen uh, uh, anyway I was, gonna, I was gonna say i was gonna say basically if you're a back-end developer there's not not so much point doing a portfolio but every, the the one thing that everyone has is a is a blog like they can write about the the problems that they face and that's mm-hmm. a that's a more fungible uh, that's a less strict de- portfolio right like a, a blog is like a uh, portfolio but like with words and <laughs> and and you can you can you can use it to feature your projects as well um let me let me kind of cover uh the portfolio pieces uh, so. uh 
Um, I'm not sure if I like. There we go. Uh, yeah. Okay. There, there are a bunch of other project ideas, I guess, that that we that we that we could cover. Like, can, we can work on your own open source library. Oh, am I am I sharing my screen? Oh, should I'm I show not. you a screen now? Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> I thought you were watching it, <laughs> everything already. Um, so yeah, I, I had a bunch of things like uh, work on your own open source library, like contribute to your local uh, meetup community nonprofit. Actually, a lot of developers get uh, their first jobs by offering their services to like uh, their relatives who are running a business, like, you know, mm -hmm. uncle who's a dentist, like, hey, do you need a website? I'll, I'll do that for you. And then that's yeah. a job, right? That you don't have to disclose that like that's my uncle but you know you know <laughs> on your resume it's just like yeah. you know i i i had I, I was a freelancer or consultant or whatever um uh, or a nonprofit or a band like one of my friends uh jason langsdorf uh actually got to start creating websites for his for his band which is touring around um <laughs> so he's a little literal rock star engineer um but as far yeah. as building a portfolio uh yeah it's 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 kind of weird because like i always think think about it as proof of work um that uh, you need to you need to basically show your work, uh, spell out the quick takeaways, um, and then also have some diversification because if one project doesn't quite fit the bill, you want something else of a some tangential nature that shows another side to the kind of projects that you deliver, right? Um, so it's a little bit like a stock stock portfolio. You're you're diversifying risk rather than adding, um, you know, continuing to just double down on something. Um, the the main thing the main thing that I tried to to emphasize is that basically you're trying to show proof of work that um, you you do a bunch of work up front that someone's sitting down trying to evaluate you within one minute five minutes fifteen minutes can just go like okay like based on all this like it's very hard to 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 deny that this person doesn't know their their stuff so you wanna you wanna just have uh, have done the work and then present the work uh, in a in a in a uh, repeatable fashion. <laughs> yeah, I, I feel like yeah, I'm rambling, so so I'm gonna I'm gonna let you ask follow up questions if you if you want. No, not at all. Yeah, brilliant tip there with the um, blog. We've got a question um, in the chat. Uh, where can I host a, a blog? Sure. I would recommend Dev Two personally, uh, just because I find it easy and intuitive, and it sort of lends itself quite well to tech. Um, what have you done, Swix? Yeah, um, I have a I have a kind of complicated setup. Uh, it's I, I use Dev2 as a headless CMS, so I also use Dev2, but um, I use it as a backend for my own site because I want people oh, to yeah. to link to my my domain which I control. Dev2 may not be around forever, but my site, my name, will be around as long as I live. So I much rather invest in that. Uh, and control that rather than be subject to anyone else's um, uh, whims or, or fortunes. Um, I do like Hashnode as well as an alternative to De Dev2. Mm -hmm. um, I think that they have invested more in design. Dev2 can be a little mm -hmm. bit brut brutalist in their approach. Uh, but Dev2 <laughs> has a bigger network. So the, the basic idea that you have to trade off when, when, talk, when building a, a blog is this thing between distribution and, and control, right? Um, if you distribute on other people's platforms like Twitter or YouTube or Medium or Dev2, um, they own your content, but then they, they spread it among their follower graph, right? Like they, they can mm -hmm. recommend it using their feed algorithms. And so people who don't know you, who you are might just find you based on uh, being in that network. Um, but, you know, if you post it on your own domain and site, uh, you control that a lot more. You can control the experience. You can um, control 
when, when people link to you, you can switch the backend or switch your hosting provider with, with no uh, consequence whatsoever. Or no, you can switch anything. Um, and that is the sort of, that's what everyone says is, <laughs> is the long-term wisdom because a lot of these platforms just don't last. Um, they, they certainly won't prioritize things the same way that you do. So you're eventually going to want to control uh, your distribution. Um, so the, the, the way that I've done it is basically try to do both. I, I blog on Dev2 and then uh, use the Dev2 API to build my own site and then I just link to my own site. And Dev2 is very generous about uh, setting canonical URLs. So any SEO sort of ranking that mm -hmm. builds up on my Dev2 mirror, send, it's sort of attributed to my, to my own personal site. So my own personal domain authority um, does, does very well. So to the point where like, I think if you Google um, why Tailwind CSS? Uh, my blog post on on that topic is ranked higher. It's it's number one on Google. Uh, it's ranked higher than Tailwind CSS's own <laughs> docs. <laughs> <That's right. laughs> um, and uh, so it's it's nice to have because then uh, you know inbound a lot of inbound opportunities come your way. Like let's say a random mm -hmm. uh, <laughs> you know live stream or or uh, or other opportunities. Like it, it really opens you up to luck. And I think I think that's uh, something that cannot be understated. Yeah, I've also read um, from you that the main beneficiary of learning in public, writing blog posts, etc., is going to be you. So although you're sharing your knowledge, yeah. it's really going to benefit you the most. Can you tell us a bit about how it's benefited your own career? Yeah. Okay. So yeah, th this whole theme of learning in public was basically like a realization uh, when I looked back over like my first year of being a developer, uh, what helped contribute to my growth the most and you know what was not so effective. And I think everyone should do those reflections every uh, periodically and, and try to allocate consciously more, more time to the stuff that is higher ROI. And for me, it was just kind of it was pretty clear that everything just kind of lumped into um, like whatever share what I learned, uh, but with a with a focus on specifically what I want to do. Um, so I, I think a lot of people, and and this is a response to a lot of people who basically say like they learn in public to give back to the community. They're so mm -hmm. <laughs> generous with their time that they're giving back. I think it's so BS. Like, <laughs> like, like everyone has a self-interested thing and self-interested motive, and you should be upfront and honest about that. Um, and and but also like it's it's a way to have to to emphasize that if you share some, in, I think when when people start learning in public, they post their first blog post, uh, and then they 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 look at you know nobody reads it because it's their first blog post, and they they just don't have a rep reputation or followers yet. Uh, and then, yeah. so of course it just, there's no readership and then they assume that they failed and then they stop. And I think that's really sad, you know, because the, the only thing motivating them is external validation. Uh, what other mm -hmm. people think, how much other people share or read it. And that's a really poor way to start. And it's also a poor way to decide what to work on in life. Um, <laughs> so, sorry, this gets very deep and philosophical because it, it really uh, concerns what you do with your time. Um, so, so I want to I want to promote a form of learning in public that is very uh, sort of uh, based on a mutual exchange of value, and also to emphasize that even as a single player game, 
uh, it, it has benefits as, as well. If Even if nobody reads anything that you write, you still benefit from trying to publish things. Um, and it's this, it's this idea that, um, you know, the, the extra effort spent helps you retain things better and structure things better. Um, having mostly it's, it's through writing, but also you can do public speaking and all that. And it, and it teaches, it forces you to perform all these communication skills and teach to like a, you know, a, a vague, like, uh, ethereal third party that like, you know, is actually reading your stuff and watching your, your talks. Um, and, and through that process of trying to teach, you learn, you know, that, and you, and you figure out what you don't know very well. And if you cannot explain things very well, then, uh, you know, you haven't really understood it that well. Um, Absolutely. so, so yeah, I think, I think that's, that's, that's my, that's my goal. Like it's to, it's to, it's to reframe this idea for, of like less the public part, and more the learning part. <laughs> uh, mm-hmm. It just happens to be better because it's public. Because um, you know that primarily it's a, it's a self. So so let's say it's primarily a self centered thing. But th- there's probably a very decent chance that someone's going to read it. Um, so it's it's uh, and I think it helps people who are you know um, it, it's it's pretty clear it helps people who are you know you three months ago, you six months ago, like, you know, helps people who are sort of following you along in your journey. I think what is maybe less obvious is that it can also help people who are way ahead of you, who are, who are experts in their field. Um, and I think that's something that I understood when I did uh, some of my blog posts on React because I uh, was blogging and, and trying to wrestle with some of these new ideas that were coming up with, with React at the time. And of course, the React team uh, read my stuff because it concerned the, the stuff that they work on. Right, and I wasn't consciously doing this, but it, essentially, I was practicing this idea that I, I end up I end up calling "pick up what they put down," which is essentially like those experts they need beginners because the the one thing that they don't have is the beginner's mind. So if you um, kind of process things and explain your what they're working on in your words, um, they'll they'll probably work with you. And if you if you if you have a track record of consistent work, then they'll they'll recognize that you're you're earnestly trying to learn. They'll probably teach you or give you feedback on anything you got wrong. And because you got things wrong in public, you will never forget it. Which <laughs> is fantastic yeah, yeah, for, for learning very, very quickly. Um, there's a there's an effect on the internet, right? Like if you get something wrong on the internet, someone will come and tell you. Uh, and it's called Cunningham's Law. <laughs> and I only know that because I what I was on a podcast and I called it um, Gresham's Law or uh, Godwin's Law. I called it Godwin's Law, and of course I got someone correcting it. So so Cunningham's Law is self-proving. <laughs> that I, I never forget the name of the law now. <laughs> yeah, oh, fantastic tips. I definitely want to spend a little bit of time talking about your book, The Coding Career Handbook. So the main tagline I've seen is that it's um, really for how to get from junior to senior, but I also understand it covers the whole kind of career path. Would you like to tell everyone a little bit about it and what inspired it and what they can expect from this? Sure. Um, it, ins- it, it was basically inspired by understanding the, the, the whole career ladder situation that I talked about earlier um, and how we focus a lot on like cracking the coding interview and like you know, studying for algorithm interviews and uh, studying studying frameworks and languages and stuff. Um, but then, 
then we are we get into the real workplace and then we have all these other skills that we're expected to know and uh it's not really covered at all like how to market yourself how to negotiate your your salary uh which like by the way you know it's the single highest return on investment activity that you can do as an engineer like you can send what, what other area can you send an email and like increase your lifetime earnings by like 50 to 100,000 like it's it's a ridiculous <laughs> people should learn to do that and and it's this part of a career uh, and uh, i think engineers are maybe uncomfortable with this because it's uh it's it's a gray area it's not scientific it's not like a computer do x and it, and y happens it's more probabilistic and it uh it's in the realm of humans rather than uh than uh microchips but i still think it can be learned i still think that it, it's the kind of thing that people pick up um, hopefully with the right network or the right mentor, but a lot of people don't have that. And so I just think that there's a gap, right? Um, when you think about software engineer books, like there's there's the very beginner, like learn to code and get the first job. And then there's the very advanced, like here's like, <laughs> uh, you know, compilers or like uh clean code or like, you know, uh, some principles of software architecture. There's nothing for the in-between um, and, and for leveling up. And I think uh, the, the core gap in the in the market is that there are a lot of junior engineers but everyone wants to hire senior engineers so i think the the, the main thesis is that like let's make it easier for people to level up uh for for teams to at least have some form of discussion um where they can say like okay here's here's what some random person on the internet thinks uh are the skills that you need on from to go from junior to senior uh we may not agree with all, all of them but it's a it's a it's a foil it's a it's a way to go like, okay, this is th this is the map of the territory, and then let's let's uh, figure out what we think based on this. So um, yeah, it's it's kind of ridiculous to write a book, um, you know, for every for <laughs> it's not for everyone, first of all, but it's also like who who am I? <laughs> Who's who? It's very intimidating to try and write a book of advice, basically. But um, I I always try to phrase it as like this is a collection of ideas. Uh, some of them will be valuable to you, and others will be completely useless. But hopefully you can figure out what that means to, to your context. Um, and I think then then also, I think it, it helps to have a third place, uh, like a hmm, um, another place. So a lot of times we don't have a, a big social network of like other engineers to talk about career stuff. Like it's either uh, we talk about career stuff with our manager or our coworkers. Um, and there, you can't really be honest with them. So I think it's it's nice to have a community of people to actually who are not in the company at all, where you can actually uh, engage in, in career related discussions. So uh, I, I, I do run a community around the book as well. Uh, and we host that sort of thing. Fantastic. That's really brilliant tips there. And you can find uh, Swix's book at learningpublic.org. I've popped the um, link in the chat just there um so swigs i did promise you this would last about 45 minutes which we've had already i can't quite believe it um so <laughs> if you need to get on uh, with whatever you've got to do and uh, say goodbye to us then i've got then i've got 15 minutes for questions uh, i'm actually jumping onto the aws live stream so if you want to uh, catch me on oh, the okay. next stream i'm going to go onto twitch.tv slash aws <laughs> Wow, <laughs> it's back-to-back -back streaming. Yeah, so if you have any last-minute questions for Swix, um, drop them in the chat. And we also have to look at our coding competition, Weekly Web Dev Challenge Submissions. Um, mm. yeah, yeah, this is what we do every week, which was the original premise of the live stream. Um, but then the interviews kind of 
took more time, which is kind of natural. Yeah. Um, so we just do a little section at the end now. So yeah, any final questions um, for Swix? I have one actually, you've mentioned on your blog, imposter syndrome and the prevalence of that. Do you have any hot tips on how to deal with it? Um, I think it's weird because I don't feel like I have that anymore. <laughs> and you can condition yourself to get past it. Um, so the, the main thing to realize is that no one was qualified for a thing before they became in, be, before they defined the fields. Like, um, you know, like Alan Turing didn't have a CS degree to, <laughs> to create the, the, the modern computer. Um, <laughs> and uh, it, yeah, I mean, could, like imposter syndrome is basically uh, our, our, our bodies or our, our minds trying to basically telling us telling ourselves that we're not yet qualified uh, but as long as you are very secure with how you know what you know like i have run this code uh, this code executes like that is indisputable fact uh, no one can ever take that away from you um, and so if you're very authentic to your personal experience you say like um, i have evaluated all the options that i've i've done my research right like i think when people blog they may not feel qualified to to write about some some subjects because they may be there may be like a definitive article that someone else has written on it, um, or they just don't feel like it's it's worthy of being published, and then they don't, and and a lot of developers get into that trap. Um, so I think we need to get comfortable with like we'll never know everything, um, but we state uh, what the work that we've done to to to. To do to get to a point of like this is the the best that I, of my ability to the best of my abilities this is where I think truth lies, and to have done that work and to 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 share that with others people really appreciate that even if you were wrong, <laughs> mm -hmm. and, and 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 so um, I think if you're just honest and if you really do do uh, do the work before you you publish um, you should you should not worry about imposter syndrome like you can still feel it. And that feeling is legitimate and fine to have, and I have it too. But it should not stop you from uh, from publishing and sharing, because uh, basically, like the only way that you'll you'll know if you were wrong is if you share it, because <laughs> so people will yeah. come in and tell you, like like we just talked about. Um, that's yeah, that's that's kind of what I. There, there's there are, there are a lot of diatribes on imposter syndrome. Like if you go onto Twitter, there's a, a guy David Perel who did a video on imposter syndrome recently. And you can go you can go watch that. You can watch a hundred videos on imposter syndrome. <laughs> that it's still not going to take away the fundamental fact that you'll feel it. Um, then you have to just push through it. And and I think for me, epistemology really plays into it. How do I know what I know? How confident I am in what in what I know? And am I making claims which I can back up? Um, and after all of that, even after all of that, if I'm still wrong, then I will have learned something. Someone will have taught me where I'm wrong and I will, I will have grown. I can publish a retraction or take down a post or, or just say like, mea culpa, like, here's, here's what I've learned since then. Um, but that's growth. How are you going to do it if you don't publish? <laughs> Very true. Yeah. It's not a mistake if you learn from it, as they say. Yeah. A fantastic tip. Well, another thing I wanted to um, ask you about is you have a policy of no zero days. 
can you um, explain what that is and how it helps yeah. you? Yeah, this this one is a philosophy I picked up from Reddit, uh, which is basically like a motivational thing, <laughs> essentially, you know, and uh, it's, it's this idea that, so what is a zero day? A zero day is a day in which you spend not doing something, uh, some act, taking some action towards your goal. And so for me, th that goal at the time was uh, learning to code, right? And I think for something, so for me, completing free code camp was a six month process and uh it's it has a very low completion rate right a lot of people start a lot of people don't finish and i think the mm -hmm. for me what worked was that uh, i did something every day so the, the original reddit post I, I highly recommend you check out like reddit slash r slash no zero days or non-zero days i think it's, it's the subreddit it's this idea that like if you want to lose weight um just make a commitment to go to the gym every day and even if on the days that you don't want to work out um you put on your shoes put on your gym clothes step into the gym and you're done like so you, it's the, the second part of no zero days is that you make the the commitment so ridiculously small that you will laugh at yourself if you never do it, right? So it's it's this idea that you 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 change your identity to become the kind of person that goes to the gym every day, uh, and so once you're in the gym and you're in the gym clothes and you're in the gym shoes, you're like, okay, I'll do one push up, <laughs> you know, <laughs> I'll do I'll do I'll, I'll do the five minutes on the treadmill, um, and then it just builds on from there. But that keystone habit of like showing up every day um, without without excuses with, with that unbroken chain um, I think that's a that's a very key thing that can be applied to a lot of things uh, so for me that was for that was uh, learning to, to code um, I wasn't perfect on it you know I, I think you should be able to forgive yourself if you slip up or like I, I got sick at one point so uh, I just didn't code for like I think a, a week um, but then you get right back on it and, and you swear to yourself again, no zero days and you just uh, keep pushing on it. And uh, it's a, it's a system of baby steps. Like, um, and, and then, you know, after, you know, a hundred zero days, you look back and you, you go like, oh, wow, actually I've, I've covered a lot more uh, than I would have if I tried to make one big leap at a time. Um, so th that's a, it's a, it's a motivational trick. It's a philosophy. Um, I'm currently doing that by the way, with uh, my podcast or mixtape. So I have a, a uh, many podcasts that I do every day, every weekday, um, that I'm just sharing what I know, what I learned from uh, the hundreds of podcasts that I listen to, uh, and taking audio clips from there, and, and practicing. Basically, like for me, it's like a creative habit. Like if I'd done this, then today was not a zero day, and you only get so many days in your life. So like you should be trying to make something out of every day. Mm. Out of interest, what? was a no zero day when you were learning to code but did you have to write a single line of code or yeah. a minimum number or yeah. just logging in yeah uh single line of code on free code camp um and and sometimes it was like a revision of something i already did because i just had no energy for anything else um That's yeah <laughs> it, it sounds trivial now because I, I code for a living but at the time there are some days when, in which like you don't want to see code anymore. <laughs> so I think doubling back and, and just going like, okay, uh, last time I did this, I didn't really understand what I was doing. Let's actually just, you know, go back and, and redo some some exercise that I've done before and just mm. being comfortable with that and saying like, okay, that counts as a day. I think that's, that, that helps. Um, but just that momentum of, I, I think that's, that's core to identity change, right? Like you're, you're changing something that's very fundamental to yourself. Um, and you want to get yourself to a point where, like, you know, I no longer count 
the number the days on which I do code and the days on which I don't code. You can look at my GitHub for how often I, I actually uh, commit stuff to, to GitHub. It's pretty consistent. This is my GitHub graph. Um, I don't know if you can see that. Uh, I code, <laughs> wow. I code on crazy. most days. Uh, but I, I no longer have the, the no zero days mentality uh, because there's mm -hmm. some days which there's some days which are zero, but like it's just a, a part of me now. And, and that's where you want to get to, 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 to identify, to go from like, I am not a developer to I am a developer. And I think that, that's pretty, pretty core to uh, just fundamentally believing that, you know, you, you, you embody this, this new identity. Uh, and therefore, things which are hard to other people are just natural to you. Hmm. I think this also ties into something else I've seen you write, which is that discipline is more important than motivation which I think is quite encouraging because it's easy to fall into the trap of thinking, I don't have the motivation that some people have. So how can I get there? Mm, mm. Um, so what you're saying is it's actually more important to just have the kind of willpower essentially show up. Yeah. Do the yeah. thing. Um, yeah. I think, I think a lot of people get motivation. It's very easy. Like you, 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 you watch some inspirational video, you hear some roaring speech that just gets you on your feet. Uh, and, then, and then, and then, what happens on day two, and what happens on day thirty, and what happens on day three hundred? Yep. A lot of people aren't there anymore, so they were very motivated, but they just didn't have the discipline. Uh, and ultimately, it's just the discipline that matters. Yeah, excellent tip. Any further questions for Swix before um, he has to go to his next live stream? Uh, what was the URL of that live stream again, Swix? So I can uh, uh, switch.tv/aws twitch.tv slash aws i think if you just search like aws official twitch <laughs> the right one there yeah so uh, you're going on to another live stream straight away so that's impressive <laughs> i mean it's it that, that one's part of my 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 job so um i'm happy to to do that uh, i am so uh, you know, side note for people still watching. I, I don't. I have no idea. I don't want to see who, who else is still watching. But uh, th this is my last week at AWS. I'm, I am leaving to join uh, a new startup, which I got through blogging. Uh, <laughs> I literally I wrote a blog post about what I wanted to see in 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 the world, and someone read it and commented on that. And uh, long story short, they hired me uh, because of a blog post I, I wrote. And uh, yeah. it's not the yeah, I mean, it, I, I think if you do this learn in public pro journey for a while, people come to you rather than you reaching out to them. And I think that's something that's really fundamental that developers don't understand. Like they, they think that uh, they, we, they were, I think a lot of developers like take a passive um, approach to their careers. Like they, 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 they'll look for a job when they need a job. And then when they don't need a job, they're just kind of working within the system with the, the company that they're at. Um, and when I think when people do the job search. They're very, they're like, okay, let's just see what's available out there. And then they, they look at the opportunity and then they, they're like, okay, I, I think I could be interested in, in, in that. Um, and I think it's a, that's a very like, you know, uh, reactive approach. The alternative is you figure out what you're super interested in and you just be about that all the time. <laughs> yeah. You just be like so ridiculously about that that no one else can think of that topic and not think about you. And so your friends and friends of friends will refer people to you and opportunities and speaking will just come inbound to your way. Um, so you can build, you can both become an industry expert and 
uh, find the perfect opportunity to let you exercise, let you work on the thing that you actually really want to work on instead of you bending to someone else's will. Uh, I think that's a very interesting way of doing these uh, career, like way of career planning. It's it's not even planning. It's more like a um, like leaving your career to open to more opportunities that you might not even know exist. Like I, when I wrote that blog post, I wasn't looking for a job. I was just like, this is super interesting to me. And uh, I want to talk with anyone who's working on such a thing. Um, Andrew Chen, who is a partner at Andreessen Horowitz and used to run growth at Uber, calls this kind of putting down your bat signal, like saying like, hey, everyone, this is what I'm interested in. And everyone can just kind of congregate uh, based on like the internet's really good at funneling people based on their interests. Um, so take advantage of that, right? Yeah, absolutely. Fantastic <laughs> tip. And really great to hear how your blog had such a direct effect on your career. So, and congrats on the new job as well. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. When are you actually starting next week? Uh, yeah. Uh, ne well, next week is March. So yes. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Fantastic news. Yeah. Um, so I'll uh, let you go now because I want you to have a little break before your yes. next live stream. Um, but yeah, check Swix out at twitch.tv slash AWS and see what he's got to say for the next, I guess, hour or so. <laughs> oh, primarily, you know, primarily I'm available on Twitter, uh, also at Swix or my site at Swix.io. Um, so I do a, a newsletter. I do I do blog. I try to blog once a week um, and then the, the podcast. And uh, yeah, that's my commitments right now. Um, I, and I also run uh, the book community. <laughs> Just going to get the um, URL to you. Uh, it's, yeah, it's all my Twitter. Like I, I, I throw all the links in there. Um, yeah, I mean, uh, hopefully this helps someone. Uh, and, and, you know, if, if you had some questions that I couldn't really answer, um, just reach out to me on, on email or on Twitter. Uh, I have both on, 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 my, on my site as well. Fantastic. Yeah, I think your advice has been invaluable. So thanks very much for coming. It's been an honor to have you. Thanks for the really good questions. And uh, yeah, I was just amazed by the amount of prep that you did on me. So I was like, whoa, okay, uh, this is serious now. <laughs> <laughs> oh, thank you for taking me seriously. Not everyone does. <laughs> All right, have a fantastic day. All right, thank you. Thanks, everyone. Bye. Bye now.